Good morning, everybody. Oh, that works. Yeah, Keith, it works. We were wondering if the new microphone that I'm using is going to work or not, and apparently it does. How's everybody doing? As you uh, can see, I am not Pastor Andrew. Um, if you get us mistaken, I suggest you go to an eyeglass store very quickly. Uh, my name is Patrick, um, and I'm normally back there, the one pushing the buttons and whatnot, but Pastor Andrew's taking a much-needed break uh, from the Revelation series. Everybody been enjoying this series? I mean, I know I, know I have. I, I start, uh, new semester starts, and we were talking about back to school earlier here, Keith was, and I start back next week um, to Bible college again, and guess what I'm taking this semester? The book of Revelation, exactly. So it's been great having Pastor Andrew up here to give me kind of a, a starter on, on what we're going to be looking at. I was half tempted to walk into class. I'll be taking it at a IBC and go, Dr. Johnson, I, I got this. I got this covered for you this semester, but I probably shouldn't do that. Um, we're going to be taking a little break from Revelation today. Um, like I said, Pastor Andrew is out relaxing a little bit, and we're going to be going back to something we started talking about in March. Now, everybody remembers us starting the series, right? Yeah, well, that's what I thought. Yeah. I mean, it was only March. Come on, right? No, we started this back in March, how to study the Bible. And you're thinking, what, is this going to be a class? No, this is actually going to be a Bible-based message. But we have to understand how to study the Bible. In the first week or first section of this, um, of this series we talked about was, this was kind of our anchor verse in it. Uh, Keith? There we go. Keith, you want to hit clear all and then start over? Thank you. This was our anchor verse. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of scriptures might have hope. That was the, first, that was the centering verse for the first part of this series. This idea that all of our hope is found in the scriptures. And that's what we kind of started and looked at. Now, our hope is found in the Scriptures, but in order to understand that hope, we actually have to dive into the Scriptures to get it. And what I want to talk about today is how do you dive in a little bit? Now, I want to picture, we have some sports fans in here, and I want to picture Tom Brady's first day going to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, right? And he walks in there and the coach says, all right, here's your playbook. Brady's all excited, and he opens it up, and the only thing in it are the plays designed for the offensive linemen. He doesn't know what the running backs, what the receivers, what the tight ends are going to do. Just the linemen, and he goes, okay, well, I got part of it. I got a quarter of what I need to know, but where's the rest of it? See, do you think he's going to be that effective? Do you think his skills and abilities are going to be put to the maximum use if he's standing there looking at it going, well, okay, I got about 40% of what I need, right? He's not going to be effective. But see, unfortunately, this is what we do a lot of times when we open up God's Word. We open up God's Word and say, okay, I got out what I need to get out, but I don't look around to see what it actually is that I need. And one of the biggest ways we do this, I think everyone in this room at some point in time probably has a 
Bible app on their phone, right? Everyone of some type. I use Olive Tree, there's version. there's all kinds of other ones, right? And every morning, normally, that app will send you what? A verse of the day, right? You wake up and there it is. Today, here's today's verse of the day. Well, just picture tomorrow morning waking up and getting your coffee and picking up your phone and here's your, oops, hold on. Here's your verse of the day. Go to Bethel and sin. Go to Gilgog and sin yet again. Bring your sacrifices every morning, your tithes every three years. There's your verse of the day. Woohoo! I can go out and sin. All I got to do is bring the sacrifice to God and pay my tithe when it says to do. I'm good. Woohoo! Right? Well, maybe you get this one. What? Shall we say then? Shall we kill one sinning that our grace may increase? All right, it's like a video game. The more I hit the sin button, the more my grace meter goes up. Awesome! Right? Of course, this isn't what these means, right? This isn't what this means. Or maybe you're in a discussion with somebody, and you're talking about David. And the guy goes, well, you know... The Bible says David was okay to sleep with Bathsheba. You're going to look at him, what? What are you talking about? He goes, well, look, Nathan said to David, you're the man. <laughs> Woohoo! Way to go. Well, maybe the worst one of all, somebody says, well, you know, I don't know why, you understand, why you're reading the Bible. I mean, the Bible clearly says there is no God. Right? I don't want to leave this one up here too long because someone will screenshot it and go, Rosemont's preaching, there's no God. So I'm going to take it off. Right? Now, of course, all of these, right? All of these that I brought up are clearly in the Bible. They're clearly Bible verses. They're clearly scriptural. Right? But what's the problem? When you take them out of context, they can say anything you want it to say. Here's the thing. Observing context within Scripture helps us determine the proper application. Now, what do I mean by observing context? Well, let's take a look at two of the examples I just used right there, right? What is the David, David and Nathan context? David's anger was greatly kindled against a man, and he says, Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who does this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said, you are the man. Thus says the Lord God, Israel, I anointed you over Israel and have delivered you out of the hand of Saul. It's a little bit different when you read it in full context, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Or what about the Psalm one? The fool in his heart says there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And there is none who does good. Once again, a little bit different, right? A little bit different when you put it in the context that it is. Now, I'm using these examples, and these are extreme examples, to show you how important it is 
to understand context when you are opening God's Word. Even if it's just on a daily basis. Even if it's just that verse of the day that you receive in your email. What's it really saying? How is the best way we can observe context? How do we observe context? The first thing, place the Scripture in the time it is being written. What is going on? What's the historical background? Who's writing it? Who's it being written to? And what are the cultural circumstances that's going on around it that it's being written? This is key. We have to go back and look at those things. And if you get a verse of the day, if you get that Romans verse, and you just read it and move along without actually looking at, okay, it's actually Paul writing that, right? And who's he writing it to? The church at Rome, because they're falling short, right? See, all of those things come into play in understanding what the Scripture is. And then, what does the Scripture actually say? In other words, remove any bias you have out of it. Remove anything that you're going to put into it out of it. Because we so often play the, I know that already game. Right? How many times has anyone heard John 3.16? I think everyone sitting in this room, even if you're not saved, knows John 3.16, right? And the game I played with the guys at the mission, and there's two of them sitting in here, I'll tell you this. Well, Charlie's here, but he's kind of half asleep, so there's two and a half sitting here, I guess. Is what I tell what I ask him whenever we talk about John 3.16, I say, okay, who's he saying it to? See, that's how you place it into cultural context. That's how you put it into the context. So you might say, I know John 3.16. Okay, who's he saying it to? And then what comes after it? See, those are the important ways to look at it. And then finally, how can we apply the context and meaning of what is being said to our lives today? Find out what the context is in the time. Remove anything you think you know about it and actually look at what's going on around it in Scripture, and then take that and apply it to your life today. And we're going to do this with a section of Scripture today. So go ahead and open your Bibles if you have it. Open the apps if you have them to 2 Timothy. And we're going to be in 2 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 2, starting at verse 16. And we're going to be going through a lot of Scripture today. Just warning you now. We're going to be going through a lot of Scripture today because we have to take this entire section into context to understand what exactly is going on. So what's the setting? Well, Paul's close to being executed. And we know that because of what we read in 2 Timothy 4, 6, and 7, that he is clearly not getting out of prison. Instead of the last time he was in jail, as he's in Rome, where he was on house arrest and had the free use of the apartment and everything. This time he's in a prison cell. And he's chained to the wall as he's writing this. And it's clear that Nero is not letting him out this time. He knows he's about to die, in other words. That's the context of him writing this letter to Timothy. This is the last of Paul's letters also. Even though it's in the, out of order in the Bible, it's 1st, 2nd Timothy, then Titus, this is actually the one that's written after Titus as well. So this is the last communication we have that we know of from Paul to somebody. 
And Paul was trying to build Timothy up. He's trying to get him ready for the service that he knows he's going to have to take over once Paul is executed. And most likely, even though it doesn't mention it, most likely Timothy is in Ephesus as he's receiving this letter as well. So that's the cultural background. That's the context as we open up the Bible. That's what we're looking at. All right? And Ephesus was what? Well, we know from a few weeks back, let's see how many people are paying attention to the Revelation series. No, kidding. Ephesus was what? The church that what had lost what? Passion. It's love. Right. Mm-hmm. See, I like group participation here. All right? So that's what Ephesus was. It was the church, but it hasn't lost its love yet. See, we don't know where it comes into play here. Because most likely Revelation, and and Pastor Andrew went over this, was written in about 95 A.D. And this letter is written in about 66 A.D. So there's a gap here between the two, all right? So he's writing this, and he says, oops, I changed it, doesn't it? Avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Other translations have it as useless talk and some other ways to put it, all right? I love this, though. Avoid irreverent babble. There's a term you want to start using, right? Throw that out and see how many people pick up what exactly it is you're talking about. Because the modern way to put it for me, and as I was reading through this, as I'm putting it into our times, The best way I can put it, stop arguing on social media. That's the number one way I can put this here, okay? That's really what he's saying. Look look what he says, right? Because it leads into more ungodliness. Now, in this time, what's actually happening here is uh, Paul is going back and repeating something that he says in verse 14. I didn't want to cover the whole 14 and 15 because we'd be here forever. Because 14 and 15, you can do an entire message on just those two verses. But he's going back and he's repeating something he says on verse 14. So this is kind of one of the first points. When you're looking at context, one of the big things to look for is repetition. Is things, are things being repeated by the writer? If it is, I might want to pay attention because it's probably important. Because this is not the only time we're going to see Paul warned Timothy of this. He actually does it three times. To avoid this babble, avoid this useless talk, as some, like I said, as some people put it. It's this empty speech, this godless chatter that's going on around. And Paul, what Paul is talking about is talk that is not saving and sanctifying. That's what he's talking about here. It's, it's this talk that is just doesn't really instruct at all. It doesn't really help the person that's engaged in the talk actually come to know God. And you're going to find out here in a little bit there's even a more devious reason that Paul says this. Because why? It pulls people away from God. It pulls people away from the message of Christ when you engage in this. Has anyone ever actually engaged in an argument on Facebook? I see a few hands. That's okay. I used to, and then I learned not to, because everybody's an expert on everything, no matter what. Right? I remember reading an article a couple days ago, and somebody said, well, yeah, you're a doctor, but can you show me studies 
links to studies about this. So in other words, they weren't taking him at his face value that he actually was who he says he was. They wanted to see more evidence, right? That's what happens when you do these things. It pulls people away from the point of the gospel. And he goes on, and with their talk will spread like gangrene. That's a nice image. Among them, Hymenus, I know I didn't even get close to that name, and Philodus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection already happened, and they are upsetting the faith of some. This idea of gangrene, there's other translations that have other words in there. Some have cancer in there as well. But this idea of once it gets into the church, once it gets into the body of the church, it will spread and can't be stopped. That's the image that Paul is trying to convey here. Now, who are these two people that he mentions here? We're not really sure. They're not really mentioned any other place, to be honest with you. But what they were is they were false teachers. They were spreading false doctrine. This is very important to understand. I'm standing up here now entrusted to give the true word of God. When Pastor Andrew stands up here, we're entrusted to give the true word of God. Anyone who's in a church leadership position, that's what they're entrusted to do. I do as best I can to stay with what the Bible says. I know Pastor Andrew does this, and other pastors, that's what we're trained to do. But it's your job to actually make sure what we're saying is true. See, the problem is, especially in today's society, I'm going to go watch or listen to this person and take everything they say at face value. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, my pastor said... And I sit there and go, <laughs> okay. But I'm not going to get into the argument with them. But what? You know it's not true doctrine. Well, that's what Paul is saying here, right? These two are preaching this false doctrine. And it's starting to spread in the church. And it's starting to pull people away from the faith. Well, what was the false doctrine they were teaching? We see this idea of the resurrection already happened. Right? And what they were actually teaching was spiritual identification with Christ's death and res- the re- only, was the only resurrection somebody would experience. That Christ was the only resurrection and it already happened and there would be no other resurrection as far as when you die is what they were teaching. Is that that was it. Boom, done. Does it sound like Christian doctrine? Does that sound like godly teaching? No. But that's what they were teaching. And Paul is telling Timothy, don't engage in them. Don't engage in this discussion with them, right? Because they're already pulling people away from their faith. They're already pulling people away from what I have taught you. And what was it that he's taught them? But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. And let everyone whose name, excuse me, who names the name of the Lord depart from inequity. Now, in a great house, there are are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. And some of those are for honorable use, and some of those are for dishonorable use. 
Now you're going, oh, hold on. You're going from talking about people preaching about the wrong doctrine to bowls? What on earth is going on here? Well, when you see this, right, some are for honorable use. Right, those, that's the good china, let's put it that way, all right? You know, the china when the one guest of the year comes over that you've got to break it out of your china cabinet for. Right? That's what we're talking about here. And then you have the dishonorable use vessels. Those would be the vessels that you use to clean up with, that you serve in and maybe throw away, Right? And look what Paul's saying. There's two types, right? There's this dishonorable and there's this honorable idea. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for the honorable use set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. God can use anyone. It doesn't matter what your past is. Period. That's that's just how it is. And our part of being used by God is to purge ourselves, to cleanse ourselves, right? Of those things. Imagine you have a clay pot. Anybody ever work with clay? It gets kind of dirty sometimes, right? Now imagine trying to clean that for a use that is good. Imagine taking that clay pot that maybe you use to store trash in, and I'm about to freak a lot of people out in here, I know, right? That you use to store trash in and say, no, I want to serve out of this now. It's going to take you a while to clean it, isn't it? It's going to take a lot of scrubbing, a lot of water, a lot of elbow grease to get that thing clean, right? Now, put it back into the context of the other verses. Put it back into what... Paul has just talked about before, right? We need to separate ourselves that are claiming from people who are claiming to serve God, but who are actually not teaching real doctrine. That's what he's talking about here. It's remove yourself from these people. Why? Because that's how you're going to be cleansed. That's how you're going to remain honorable. If someone's not honorable to God, if someone is actually trying to pull people away from God because of false doctrine, these false teachers, we are to separate ourselves from them. So let's go on. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along those things who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Now it seems like Paul's bouncing all over the place, doesn't it? Seems like he's got a little ADHD going on in this letter here, right? Could, get, could be going from false teachers to cleaning up your house, now to flee youthful passions. You're kind of, what? What's going on? Once again, you've got to look at the full context. Right? Because he's not just talking about sexual things here. And the problem is, in particular, this is one of those verses that when you just pull it out and say, look, he's telling Paul to telling Timothy to stay away from sex. Well, is that what it's really saying? No, because look at the rest of it, right? Pursue righteousness, faith, peace, along with those who call on the name of the Lord for the pure heart, right? The false teachers Paul is writing about would have experienced things like pride, right? Like the lust for 
wealth and power, jealousy, all of these things fall into this youthful passions idea. So when you, once again, go back and look and see what comes before, you have to make all these connections. As you're doing your Bible studies, this is something that's so important to do. Don't just look at a verse and say, I'm good. Because you're not going to get the full meaning and the full application from it. You're going to hear me say that phrase a lot this morning, by the way. Don't just pull a verse out. Because it's one of the things I think we're all guilty of doing a lot. So, let's go ahead and move on. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they have breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to everyone, able to teach patiently and enduring evil. In other words, stop arguing on social media. Once again, this verse can go right back to that point as well. Con- uh, correcting his opponents with gentleness, God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their own senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured, after being captured by him to do his will. Now his opponents, this idea of his opponents, it's not just talking about unbelievers. Right? That's part of it. When you see this idea of correcting his opponents with gentleness. Yes, we are to bring unbelievers to Christ with gentleness. Gentleness is such a key word here. Because I think one of the things that we, as a church body, not just necessarily here at Rosemont, but out in the world do, is forget this word gentleness. Right? We like to run around going, well, you know that's a sin. Here, let me show you exactly what it says in the Bible, that's a sin. How's that being Gentle. How's that being gentle? How is that going to somebody and saying, okay, I understand that this is what you're doing. Maybe we can talk about why is it you're doing this? How did you get involved in this? I, have, I deal with addicts every day in my job. Every day. And one of the key questions I always ask them is, when did you start? And most of the time, and there's somebody from the mission sitting here It's about to laugh because 99, he's already laughing before I even say it, 99% of the time, remember, let me preface this because so everyone won't think I'm sexist when I say this, I work with guys, okay? That's who I counsel. And 99% of the time it starts with the statement, well, there was this girl, okay, so the root of the problem isn't necessarily the addiction, it's the codependency on having to have somebody in your life, right? So if I'm not gentle, and I just go, what you're doing is a sin, stop doing it, get out. How am I helping people come to know Christ doing it that way, right? And we do this as a church a lot. Like I said, not as this specifically this church, but as a church body, as a group of Christians, we do this a lot. Like I said, it's not talking about just unbelievers. This would also have been people who believe in Christ, who are saved, right? Who 100% are saved, but have still been pulled away by these false teachers 
that Paul is talking about here. See, there's churches to this day filled with saved people, with people who truly believe in Christ that are receiving false teaching. Not going to name names, but they're all across the world right now, right? That's also what this verse applies to. Helping them understand where they are what? Caught in the snare of the devil. I love that phrase. Right? Caught in the snare of the devil. This is how Satan will distract us, right? He'll put a vision away from God. He'll pull and twist God's words to make it think like we are actually living in the will of God when we're so far from it. Remember back to Jesus' temptation in the desert. The devil doesn't say, hey, I tell you to go do this. What you do every time? He uses scripture, right? Well, the Lord says, thus says this, right? That's what he does. And he'll do that with us if we're not paying attention as we're going through our Bible study. He will do that with us. He'll bring us to a point and says, okay, just like I put that Amos quote up or Amos verse up, hey, it says I can go on sinning. Because it says so right here in the Bible. That's how the devil works with us. Now, let's pause for a little bit. No, it's not intermission. Let's just pause for a little bit and go back to the, to the context and what we're looking at today. Observing context within Scripture helps us determine application. Because what we've been talking about up to this point, right, in this letter is looking at the warnings against false teachers. That's what the entire portion of this letter has been talking about. And that's the lens through which we need to process what is happening here. I mentioned earlier that we need to remove those preconceived notions of what we believe the Scripture says as we're opening it up. We need to kind of clear our mind from what we think it says. And this is something to keep in mind as we're reading this here, because remember, this is a continuous letter. These chapter and verse markers weren't put in until years after this letter came out. And they're put in to help us identify things, right? But as Timothy is reading this, it's a continuous letter. So it doesn't just stop at chapter 2. Timothy's not reading going, oh, chapter 2 is over. I'll take a break and pick up chapter 3 later. Right? He would have been reading it. So as he's reading this, he would have instantly gone to this. What did we just talk about? Doing gentleness, love, bringing people who are caught in the snare of the devil out, and it goes right to this. But understand this, the last of days, there will come times of difficulty. Now, Timothy's just read, okay, i got to do things with gentleness and love. Uh Uh-oh. But it's about to get difficult. It's about to get very difficult. See? When you look at this, these falling, this idea of the falling away that we read about earlier, Paul is telling him it's going to get worse 
and worse and worse. We know that because of this. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Now, a lot of parents in this room right now have children getting ready to start school tomorrow. You can kind of highlight that one, I guess, right? Mm-hmm. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un- unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen, with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Once again, the third time Paul has told Timothy, don't engage with these people in any way. Avoid them. Now that list is a Quite the list, isn't it? Uh, that, that anybody want to be placed on that list with being labeled with any of those things? I know I don't. But guess what? This isn't the first time we see this list. Because this is almost the identical list that Paul uses in Romans chapter 1. So once again, when you're looking at context of the Bible, when you say, who wrote the book? It's maybe important to know the other things he's written too. And it's maybe important to know some of the content of those other things he's written because guess what? You're looking for repetition too. So if he gives this huge list in Romans and then gives it again to Timothy to deal with the church of Ephesus, most likely there's a lot of people that are going to fall into that list out there in the world. And I love how he says, right, avoid such people. If you go back to 2 Timothy 2, 19-21, which we just looked at, Paul speaks of this cleansing idea, right? The pot, the cleansing of the utensils. And here he urges Timothy an extension, us, because this isn't just for Timothy. We are to what? Take the Bible and apply it to our lives, Right? So when he says, avoid these people, he's also telling us that we need to be on the lookout for people who pretend to have the look of a Christian, who pretend to act like a Christian, but they're actually lovers of themselves and of the world. We have to be on the lookout for these people. Now, when we see avoid such people, a lot of people are going to say, but Patrick, aren't we supposed to witness to everybody? And I know Sydney's sitting there going, yep, that's just what I was about to yell out, right there. Patrick, aren't we supposed to, to, supposed to bring everyone to Christ? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to pick on Justin here for a minute, because Justin hears me, hears me say it almost every week. Cut people out of your life that aren't helping you grow in your walk with God. But that doesn't mean you completely and totally stop talking to them. What do you do? I could hand the mic to Justin. He'd come up and say it because he hears me say it so much. You tell that person, right now, I don't think it's good that we communicate with each other. But if you ever have a question about the Bible, if you ever want to talk about Jesus, if you ever want to talk about where you are in eternity, 
If you ever need someone to pray for you, I'm here for you. But outside of that context, I don't think it's a good idea that we're around each other. That's how you avoid such people. You put it in their court of, if you want to have a legitimate discussion about these things that I firmly believe in, about the doctrine that I firmly and truly believe in, I'm always here to have that talk. But outside of that, I'm not into what you want to talk about, and I don't particularly want to have any other discussion with you. Sounds harsh, right? Guess what? Avoid such people. That's how you still can witness to them without completely and totally cutting them out of your life. And it's important to do that, right? It's very important to do that. We're looking at that repetition thing that he does. Third time, he's told Timothy to avoid these kind of people. Why? Because most likely, if you are in a relationship with those people, even if it's just a casual friendship, they're going to start pulling you away from the doctrine that you firmly believe in. They're going to start, you know, getting into your life. That idea of the gangrene, of the cancer. That's what's going to happen. And you're going to start questioning things. Hmm? For among them, those who creep in... Yeah. For among them are those who creep into the households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Now this is a, it would have been a common practice in this time. What it is, is these false teachers, these two men that Paul mentions and other false teachers would prey on recently divorced widows. They would go in and they would act like they were trying to comfort them. And they would act like they were there for them. And they would act like their help. But all they were doing was trying to pull them into what it was that their false teaching was. And they knew that they could prey on them because they had these burdens of sin, right? They, they had these, these sins that they didn't know what to do with. They didn't know how to get rid of them. Guess what? Think this isn't done today? Cults. Not talking about necessarily Christian leaders, but cults and some Christian leaders will do this today. Right? They'll, they'll come in and they'll say, come on in. Right? Come on in. I know I have the answer for you. I have the answer for what, what's going on here. I have the answer. I can help you with this sin that you're having. But the problem is, is as much as they want to twist and as much as they want to say they have the answer for it, what they avoid is what? The knowledge of the truth. In other words, they have all kinds of head smarts, all kinds of head knowledge. Oh, I have all the right words. They have everything to tell you, but they don't have any heart knowledge. They don't have any way for you to say, you know what? This is what I need to do with my sin. He goes on. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. 
men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all as it was to those two men. Now the names mentioned here are never mentioned in the Old Testament. They're never mentioned. You can do all kinds of searches you want. This is the only place you're going to find these two names. Most people believe that they are part of Pharaoh's magicians who were replicating the things Moses was doing. When Moses throws down the rod, they, put, they have the snakes come out. Most people believe that's who these two are. Because look what he says, right? Opposed Moses. Just as they opposed Moses, they also opposed the truth. They were fake. Right? These, these magicians that the Pharaoh had were fake. They resisted his works by doing counterfeit works. Go back. Does this sound familiar? Can you think of anyone like this today? Right? This is the exact way false cultists and false preachers operate. They have the word so close to being exactly what it is in the Bible. Right? They have their own Bible sometimes. They substitute everything that is Christian and put it into their works and fool people enough that will buy into it without actually going and investigating what it is that they are talking about. But then look what Paul says. Every one of these systems, every one of these teachers will eventually be exposed. The false systems come and go. The false teachers come and go. They've been around for a while, right? We can name some that have been around for years. But they can only lead men up to a certain point. They can only take you so far. And then, of course, when you say, well, what do I do with my sin? Some of them won't even talk about it. Some of them don't even want to mention the word, right? But when they do try to mention it, when they do try to talk about it, they have no answer. What do I do with my sin? I don't know. We don't want to talk about that. Because it doesn't deal with having a good life while you're here on earth. It's not what we're supposed to be doing. What are we supposed to be doing? How, you, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, and my steadfastness. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Yes, I know you say you're not supposed to cherry pick verses out. But this is truly one of my favorite verses in the Bible because look what it deals with. Doctrine, conduct, purpose, faith, patience, love, and commitment. All in that one verse. You followed my teaching. You followed the doctrine that I've laid out for you. You followed exactly what it is that you're supposed to be doing to live a Christ-like life. Your conduct is above Reproach. Your aim in life. What is the purpose in your life? It's to live by the faith and be patient and love and stay committed. Stay steadfast. 
stay persistent in doing that. That's the model for a Christian life right there, isn't it? In that one verse. That's why I love that verse so much. My personal, my, my persecutions and suffering that happened to me at Antioch, to, at Inicom, at Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet all of them are for the Lord rescued me. Now Lystra would have been very familiar with Timothy because that was his hometown. That's where he came from. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. There, Paul's being cheery as he always is here, right? All who desire to be a Christian will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go down from bad to worse deceiving. Persecution is an integral part of Christian life. We got to accept it. It's going to happen. Now, you're saying, Patrick, you're in America. And have you watched the news lately? And seeing what's going on in other parts of the world? Absolutely. Absolutely. And there's no making light of what's happening in other parts of the world when I say persecution is part of a Christian walk. We are persecuted differently than they are. And we are persecuted obviously much more lightly right now than they are. But that doesn't mean we don't face it. It doesn't mean we don't have to stand fast to the true doctrine of what the Bible says. Just because we're not facing those things doesn't mean that, first off, eventually we're not going to. So let's keep that in mind. But just because we might be think we're getting off a little easier, does that mean we do this any less? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And evil men and imposters will grow worse. It's going to happen, right? Look what he says. Evil men and impostors will go from bad to worse, and then eventually what? Deceiving themselves. They're eventually going to fall for their own lies. They're eventually going to buy in to what they've been selling to everyone else. Hmm. But as for you, continue in what you, are, what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Remember, Timothy's mother and, grand, and grandmother raised him, would have known, he would have been taught very early the writings of Moses and Isaiah and those other prophets, which you are able to make wise through salvation in Jesus Christ. Once again, we see this repetition. Paul was reminding Timothy and us to go back to the foundation of what it is that we believe. What is the foundation? It's the true Word of God. And that true Word is, guess what? All Scripture is breathed out by God for prof- and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training, and for righteousness. All Scripture is the Word of God. And we can all use it, every single part of it, for these things here, for teaching, right? It provides us, it gives us an idea into the mind of God a little bit 
on those themes that we see throughout the Bible. And it doesn't just speak to us, but it also, the reproof, right? Helps put us in check. That's how I like to put it, right? Helps, keeps us, helps keep us in line for correction. It doesn't just point out what we're not supposed to do. Because God wouldn't be a very loving God, would he? If he said, don't do this. And left it there. If you're a parent, know what you do? Don't do this. Okay? But what am I supposed to do if you're telling me not to do this? Right? See, correction, the correction part of it is don't do this. Instead, this is the path you need to be on. Yeah, you may have fallen off. You may have gone over here and not done something I wanted you to do. Here's how you get back on the right track. And then for instruction for righteousness. Right? It gives us a detailed example of how we live a godly life and how we go out and give it to others. Now the big question. Why is all this necessary? Why is... Knowing Scripture, so important. Why is it necessary? I call this the why. That the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. Studying and understanding the proper application of God's Word helps equip us to go into the world and do the work we're called to do. It helps us live out Matthew 28 without actually understanding the context of Scripture. We cannot properly apply it to our lives. It's impossible to. So when you're doing your studies this week, I ask that you go ahead and think about these things. Are you just pulling verses out? Or are you actually going and looking at a deeper understanding, right? The Bible is our playbook for leading a godly life. It truly is. And we can't just simply pick and choose it and mark it off on a daily checklist. We have to dive in. We have to start learning to study what is between the pages. We have to start learning what is it that God wants me to do with what I'm reading? And we can't do that if all we're doing is going and saying, okay, I read my verse of the day in my devotional and boom, I'm done. We can't do it. Observing the correct context leads to proper application. Observe the correct context. Praise team, come on up. Take the time to dive into God's Word. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit will guide you to where you need to go. The Holy Spirit will bring you to the point where you can then start making that application. Let's go ahead and bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for giving us Your Word. Thank You for allowing us to be able to get that just small insight into what it is you want us to do while we're here on earth. 
And Father, I pray that those who heard this word, either here in the room or online later, will take what has been said from here and actually use it to better understand your written, written word and your instructions to us while we're here on earth, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.